Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking rates and lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Rico Mohammed. This is the Rates and Lanes podcast. It's been a couple of weeks, sorry, we've kind of left you guys a little high and dry on the rates and lanes, um, getting back in the shadow again tonight, and we're not coming back empty-handed, we're coming back fully loaded for bear. We got our good resident um, legal expert on board with us, Mr. Hank Seaton, so if you got any questions, I've been getting a lot of phone calls here lately uh, from a lot of different owner-operators talking about uh, contract issues as far as their pay is concerned. When are, when are they supposed to be paid? Uh, when are they supposed to get? Um, how how are they supposed to be uh, getting paid when they sever the relationship between the carrier? Um, you know what's the proper time uh, as far as should they be receiving their escrow when they should be receiving their last paycheck? Um, all of those different things are great questions, and I kind of can give you a little bit of information on them. But tonight you have an opportunity to get. Good, sound legal advice from an industry expert. Mr. Hank Seaton will be on board and joining us here shortly. We got him on the line. So if you got any legal questions or anything along those lines, go ahead and press number one. Let's get you screened in, get you up and on board, so that uh, we can get you um, get you involved in the conversation. Uh, tonight, as we normally always do, we're going to jump over into. I'm going to try to make it quick because I want to uh, definitely get on board with Hank and get, if you guys got questions, I want to get your guys' questions in and get, have you uh, as much time as you possibly can so we can get deep into your questions if you got them for us. Um, tonight, things are kind of settling down a little bit out there on the spot market. Um, we're going to take a look at real quickly at the USDA truck rate report, fruit and vegetable report that came out today. Um we don't have any areas that are reporting any types of shortages of trucks. We've got two markets that are reporting slight shortages, and those two markets are eastern North Carolina and southern New Mexico. Those are the two, only two areas that are showing anything as far as a slight shortage is concerned. You have other areas that are reporting um, slight surpluses. Those two areas that are reporting slight surplus of trucks it's Texas and, and Mexico crossing through Texas. So everywhere else is reporting uh, an adequate supply and demand of trucks in those areas. So make sure things are starting to calm down a little bit. Make sure you're starting to make sure you um, are negotiating and adjusting your routes accordingly if you are going to be working the spot market. I'm going to try to get a copy of this USDA report up and on board on the uh, Rates and Lanes Facebook page. And we're going to jump right over and take a look really quickly at the DAT trend lines report for this week. Freight volumes and prices moved lower last week, as is typical in mid-July. Still, we're coming off some of the highest prices we've seen in years. National average rates for vans and flatbeds dipped by $0.02 cents per mile last week, while reefer rates declined by $0.03 cents per mile. Let's take a look a little bit more in depth into this report and jump into 
the U.S. Van Demand and Capacity Report for dry vans. The national average van rate slipped by two cents down to $1.81 per mile. As demand typically weakened in July, prices were lower in the northeast and the southeast and south-central regions. Taking a look back historically, the national average van rate uh, has soared by 11 cents higher than it was compared to June at $1.80 per mile. The rate was 18 cents higher than the national average of June of 2016. Also, prices remained, uh, well, we had a little bit of a bump in diesel prices, jumped by 0.8 percentage points up to $2.51 per gallon nationally as the national average. Um, and i got to get back over. My report is acting a little funky. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, low board activity. Here we go. Low board activity declined slightly, as is typical this time of year. Nationally, van load postings dipped by 1% by and truck postings increased by 2%. That caused the load-to-truck ratio to decline by 4%, down to 4.8 loads per truck for dry vans. The national average van rate was lower compared to the previous week. And now looking back, taking a historical look back, van load post increased by 32% in June compared to May, and truck post it lost 12% to yield a 49% surge in the national load-to-truck ratio at 5.6 van loads per truck. The ratio set a new record up 91% compared to June of 2016. And now taking a look at those rates, looking at the rates, across the nation, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States for drive-ins on the spot market. We are showing coming out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, $1.66 per mile on average. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia kicking in, showing $2.12 per mile on average for the spot market for drive-ins. Moving up into the Midwest, we show $2.07 for the Chicago market, Dropping down into the South Central market, Dallas, Texas is the representative city. We're showing average spot market rates of $1.73 per mile for dry vans. And moving out west to the west coast, Los Angeles, California, checking in, showing average spot market rates of $2.18 per mile for a dry van. Jumping over and let's see. My computer is not wanting to cooperate with me. We're going to move over to national demand and capacity for flatbeds for the week of July 16th through the 22nd. Flatbed load postings declined by 1%, while truck postings increased by 4%. That caused the load-to-truck ratio to fall 5%, down to 36.1 loads per truck. The national average flatbed rate was lower compared to the previous week. Taking a look back historically, compared to May, flatbed load postings rose 18% in June, while truck posts declined by 4.2%. That boosted the load-to-truck ratio by 18% to 43 loads per truck as a national average. Compared to June of 2016, the load-to-truck ratio has skyrocketed by 137%. 
So let's now take a look at national rates for flatbeds. The national average rate for flatbeds dipped by two cents down to two dollars and eighteen cents per mile on average last week after hitting the highest level in two years two weeks ago. Looking back historically, as far as the rates were concerned, flatbed rates increased six cents in June compared to May. The new national average of two dollars and sixteen cents per mile was ten cents higher uh, than the average of June of twenty sixteen levels. Taking a look around the country, starting out in Harrisburg, PA, we are showing, starting out in that northeastern corridor for spot market rates for flatbeds, $3.31 coming out of Harrisburg, PA. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia kicks in, showing average spot market rates for flatbeds at $2.70 per mile. Moving up into the Midwest, we got Rock Island, Illinois, kicking in, showing average spot market rates at $2.66 per mile. Moving down into um, the south central portion of the United States, Houston, Texas, checking in, showing average spot market rates for flatbeds at $2.71 per mile. And moving out west to the west coast, Phoenix, Arizona, wrapping up the report, showing an average spot market rates of $1.83 per mile on average for flatbeds coming out of the West Coast. And let's try to jump on over to the reefer report, trend lines report, the national demand and capacity report for reefers for the week of July 16th through the 22nd. Reefer demand slowed as typically as typical followed by the 4th of July. There were some bright spots, however, including a boost in activity and rates out of the Midwest. Nationally, reefer load postings declined by 6% and truck posts increased by 1%, yielding a 5% decline in the national average load-to-truck ratio, down to 8.5 loads per truck nationally. Taking a look back historically, reefer load posts in June were 30% higher than they were in May, and truck posts fell 12%. That led to a 47% spike in the load-to-truck ratio from 6.8 up to 10.1 loads per truck nationally. Compared to June of 2016, the load-to-truck ratio was up by 77%. Let's jump over and look and take a look and see how those rates were performing for reefers. Over the previous week, the national average reefer rate dipped by three cents down to $2.09 per mile. Rates fell in the northeast and southeast, but prices rose in some markets in the Midwest. The national load-to-truck ratio was lower compared to the previous week. Taking a look back historically, uh, spot market reefer rates increased 10 cents in June compared to May at $2.12 per mile. The June average rate was 14 cents higher than it was at this exact same time one year ago today. Taking a look around the country by region, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, Elizabeth, New Jersey checks in, showing average spot market rates for reefers at $1.72 per mile. Lakeland, Florida is the southeast representative city, showing average spot market rates of $1.38 per mile. 
coming out of the Midwest, Green Bay, Wisconsin, leading the charge. Spot market rates for reefers at $2.87 per mile. Moving down into the south central portion of the United States, McAllen, Texas, checking in $1.90 per mile on average. And moving out west, Fresno, California, being the representative city, $2.16 per mile on average coming out of Fresno. And um, I wanted to jump over really quickly and get into the bad broker report. I don't want to go back all the way back because that would take up the entire show to go back from the last time that we did it. But we're just going to go back um, one week from today. And I'll try to see if I can't get this in a format, and I may see if I can print it to put it up on the uh, Facebook page. But right now, with no further ado, first, uh, Vistar Logistics LLC, their MC number is 998-118, FMCSA show, surety bond scheduled for cancellation on 18-17. Over $5,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. RT Logistics, Inc., MC number 843 325 FMCSA shows trust fund is canceled. Over $7,000 in active non-payment complaints have been reported. Smith Trans Inc., MC number 536-643. FMCSA shows surety bond scheduled for cancellation on 7-19-17. That probably has already taken place. Over $23,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. Professional Transportation Consulting Inc., their MC number is 752-461. Surety bond is canceled. Over $18,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. USA Motor Lines Inc., MC number 324160. FMCSA shows surety bond canceled on 7-1-17. Over $32,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. IGH Logistics, Inc., their MC number is 728283. Over $13,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. Um, Basic Enterprises, Inc., MC number is 512341. Over $8,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. Burbex Enterprises, Inc., MC number is... Wow, this is a really low MC number, 245904. Surety bond canceled. Over $25,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. Jay-Z Expedited Logistics, LLC. MC number is 865319. FMCSA shows surety bond canceled. Over $14,000 in active non-payment complaints have been reported. Cart Transportation, Inc., whoa, MC number is 005777, FMCSA show surety bond canceled on 8, is, is canceling on 81917, over $12,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. That is a really low MC number. Um, and with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, hopefully... No one has any issues with any of these uh, bad providers. We're going to try to go back and get 
as much information as we can for over the couple of weeks that we missed because this list is extensive. For the couple of weeks that we were out, we have a bunch of people that are on on this list uh, being as far as um, not paying their bills in a timely fashion. But that can be uh, more topic farther uh, for conversation. Let's go without any further ado. Let's go and grab our special guest, Mr. Hank Seaton, and grab him and bring him up on board. Hank, are you there? I am here. Good evening, Rico. Good evening, Hank. Do you uh, give us a quick rundown, if you can, what's what's new, what's coming down the pike, regulatory issues, stuff that we might need to be aware of coming out of D.C.? Well, there are all kinds of issues percolating through the system. Uh, one that's catching a lot of people's attention is Congressman Babbitt is sponsoring legislation to kick the can down the road on the ELD. Uh, the ATA is working furtherly to uh, uh, see that the ELD goes into effect. I, my crystal ball is, gazy, is hazy on whether or not uh, it will be postponed. I think it is a, a damn shame that people are left hanging around uh, with two years' notice, and then uh, Congress and uh, everyone at the last minute tries to decide whether it's going to go into effect. Uh, but I'm sure there are people concerned about it. Uh, I don't know what that crazy Congress is going to do. I can't handicap the ELD, uh, but I do share some concerns that strict enforcement of the ELD will have a uh, devastating effect on the ability, particularly of long-haul truckers, to get miles and get home. Not because uh, uh, it imposes new rules, but because there will be zero tolerance, and the agency will use the ELD and the record-keeping to uh, hold your feet strictly to the fire. As I've mentioned before, I think uh, some of my clients are reporting that strict compliance can reduce productivity, and I think that's a fact. The way to really deal with it, I believe, is to finally realize that uh, strict adherence to 10 hours consecutive off-duty doesn't uh, uh, isn't necessary for restorative sleep, but we can leave that for another time. Uh, the issues that really uh, concern me is this National Academy of Science report and the crazy notion that somehow SMS methodology, although not fit for use now, can be made fit. Uh, the uh, methodology is undergoing a four-month review by the agency. Uh, we don't know whether the new administration will uh, be able to uh, finally get on board and do something about what I consider to be the madness, but uh, there is a coalition of uh, small carrier representatives that are proposing that now's the time to kill SMS methodology and the uh, procedures the agencies put in place that kind of terrorize our industry because it simply doesn't work and it's prejudiced against small carriers. Uh, what is being proposed is a, uh, a biannual audit, which means that every two years a carrier would have uh, uh, a desktop audit which would result in a safety rating. It would basically be the same thing as a new carrier audit. You'd have to prove that you had the books and records necessary to comply and that you were not requiring or permitting uh, your drivers or your equipment to act in an unsafe manner. In that regard, if there are 
anyone if there is anyone on the line who has recently filed for their authority, they will be subject to a new carrier audit uh, within the first uh, nine months of operations. In that regard, I think many of you probably know uh, Rick Gobble, who has the radio show uh, Safety, Compliance, and Common Sense. He's a good friend and is going to be doing a webinar that is free. It's going to be Tuesday, August 1st uh, at 6 p.m. Eastern, uh, 5 p.m. Central. Uh, and uh, you can enroll for free. Uh, TransComply is sponsoring it by going to transcomply.com slash webinar. It's free. If you can't uh, attend between those times, you'll be sent a link to, to hear it. And I think if you're, if you're just getting started, you, you really need to know what you got to have to pass this audit because uh, the agency is taking pretty draconian efforts at times to just simply place you out of service after you get started because you don't have the record keeping in place. Uh, with that, Rico, I think I, I'm probably at a place uh, to stop and take some questions. I'd also point out that there is another website that will become active. It's called MC, uh, MCCRR, Motor Carrier Regulatory Reform .net. And uh, uh, I, can, I can post that or I can give it to anybody who's interested. It is going to be the place where blogs and information about uh, bureaucratic overreach are posted. We're really trying to get small carriers to stand up and be counted. Uh, this next week we will be in uh, uh, Lexington, Kentucky, in Cincinnati, Ohio, and in Cleveland, Ohio, speaking to a group assembled by the Small Business Administration. And the purpose of our presentation is to say, it's time for regulatory reform, roll back the red tape, and the presidential the presidential treatment of uh, of uh, of small carriers because uh, the unintended consequences of overregulation is killing the independent contractor and the and the small carrier. So I think I've talked about a lot there, Rico. Why don't you ask me questions and let anybody else ask you? What was that? What was that website again? Real quickly, Hank. That MCC. What, what was that? I'm no, trying to get it pulled it, up it, real quick. It's, it, it, it's mcrr.net. Mcrr. That stands for Motor uh, Motor Carrier Regulatory Reform. Dot net. Dot net. And yeah, dot net. And what we what we have is uh, uh, we're going to be uh, posting these initiatives. Uh, obviously, if we're going to have a Chinaman's chance of getting any of them through, we're going to need. Uh, uh, the folks that control the House and Senate to realize that uh, things like the independent contractor model or small business uh, uh, initiatives and that uh, in order for uh, the 800,000 small carrier, uh, uh, small businessmen to survive, they need to have independent contractor status. They need to be uh, freed from the kinds of, uh, uh, of bureaucratic overreach that that otherwise applied because uh, as uh, your show, uh, RICO, was really aimed to teach people uh, uh, the independent contractor model allows you to be your own businessman and uh, it, it's the white-collar, it's a blue-collar entrepreneur 
uh, option that truck drivers have, and it needs to be protected. Uh, so uh, recognizing that and getting the federal government to trump some of these crazy state rules is important. I think it's uh, really tough to try to help a guy who's got one or two trucks figure out that he's got 48 different states to to deal with all with different regulations and uh, different uh, uh, legal loopholes and traps. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Right, right. And uh, I'm working on trying to get that link for that website up and on board on the Rakes and Lanes Facebook page. We got someone that has that hand raised. Let's go grab them real quick, Hank, and just for the rest of the callers. If you got a if you got a legal question for Hank or myself, go ahead and press number one. We can get your call screened in, and we can get you up and on board with Hank. We can tackle any and all legal issues here tonight. So if you got anything <laughs> with contract, any of that stuff, uh, we've got we've got the resident expert that answer those questions and guide you in the right direction, and uh, you know give you some practical advice right now. And then maybe uh, if you need more than that, you can get in contact with Hank uh, and his firm after the show. Let's go and grab Les really quickly. Les, you're up and on board with Rico and Hank. How can we help? Yes. Uh, I am looking at leasing off to a reefer company, and one of the things that they'll that I'm hoping they will let me do is occasionally put my own loads. The loads I'm looking at are wine and beer and alcohol, which would require special permits. Uh is it possible for me to get the permits in my company's name but carry loads for the carrier? Uh, probably not. Now, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you kind of a, a roundabout answer. Uh, as an independent contractor, uh, you should have the right to haul for other people or to haul for yourself. Your reefer carrier may not like it, but there is no reason that if you take an outbound load for him, you couldn't operating under your own authority and your own uh, permits uh, uh, haul the return load under your own authority. Uh, okay. It is becoming, it is becoming more uh, prevalent uh, because uh, folks are challenging the independent contractor model and saying that the carrier controls the uh, the opportunity of the independent contractor to work for multiple people, that uh, carriers are more uh, more willing to say, look, as as long as you aren't running under our authority and our placards, uh, if you give us notice, uh, you can boogie on home under your own authority under somebody else's. So I think if you uh, have a sporadic lane of business uh, that it's uh, it's wine or beer and you're right that you do have to have a permit you may very well want to lease on to a reefer carrier who will let you uh, head haul your own freight so to speak Uh, and you know I I would propose that as an easier way for you to get the full revenue out of uh, out of your head haul you know, rather than you sign a contract, you're going to get 70% of revenue, and you go through all this hassle, and you, you know now you're waiting on him to build your good customer. Uh, I think you know, as Rico has said, uh, most people who are getting started as independent contractors uh, would like to get to the day where uh, 
you know, they could, could could develop their own business. And if you're bringing that business to the transaction, I would try to negotiate uh, uh, what amounts to a owner-operator agreement that's triggered when you are tendered the load and is terminated on a load-by-load -load basis when you deliver it. Okay, that that's nothing like the old style trip lease. It's totally it'd be totally legal to do it like that. Yes. What happened is, and you've been around a while because you remember a trip lease. A trip lease existed really for the purpose of getting the uh, restricted operating authority on the truck. You had to have the the placards and the bingos of somebody who had authority from Atlanta to New York for you to haul from Atlanta to New York. When everybody could get authority, they did away with the term trip lease. But there's nothing in the leasing regulations that says that it has to be uh, for a month or a year or for a definite period of time. In fact, uh, traditionally, carriers have uh, insisted on it being for a duration because they don't want you booging around the country, uh, not under dispatch, but under their authority and liability. Uh, it's gotten okay. to the point, it's gotten to the point, though, that uh, there's so many pernicious lawsuits against uh, carriers for allegedly controlling owner-operators that uh, uh, the smart money is going to, uh, to say, look, Mr. Uh, independent Contractor, not only do you have the right to turn down loads, but... Uh, we don't want you necessarily exclusively tied to us. We're more than happy for you to uh, uh, be like a carpenter who frames a house, a house at a time. But, you know, they're still going to have to be, you know, if you do 90% of your freight with them, uh, you can either do it under an independent contractor agreement or if you have your own authority, you can go through their broker affiliate and, uh, uh, you know, basically uh, – uh, create a deal where you say, look, I want to haul for you 90% of the time, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I do have some of my own freight. And if you go to that alternative model where you're basically power only or whatever uh, and have your own authority, then what you're talking about really works very well. I know most of the large companies are now looking at power only as an alternative to independent contractors and, you know, under that power only system, uh, you know, you can you can pull uh, pull their tractor or your tractor and be contracted on a load by load basis. So you might want to look okay. at that. If you want to give, right, me, thank you, you want to give me a call, we can talk about it. Uh, uh, I think Rico's got my number, but uh, you know, there there are a lot of those deals that are going down now, and I think you can maybe find the right one that fits you. All right, thank you. Sure. All right, Les, we appreciate the phone call. And that, ladies and gentlemen, opens up the line for you guys. If you got a question to get in with Hank, you may have pressed number one. We're taking your calls and questions all the way up until the top of the hour. Go ahead and get them in now while you got an opportunity. Um, and, Hank, going back, rolling, jumping back over, we was talking about, um, you know, that Congress is talking about going back and maybe punting or kicking the can down the road, as you put it, with the ELD mandate. And uh, one of my biggest gripes about the whole ELD thing, I don't have a problem with or with the regulation as far as if this is the way that they want us done, because for years it's been my opinion that 
the trucking community has just been like the magic eraser for it. the shippers and, and brokers all together. They they give you these uh, appointment times, and then you go into a place, and you arrive in, at, in enough time to uh, do the load properly, but then you're sitting at a dock for hours only and waiting to either get loaded or unloaded. And then, you know, uh, the, the only problem that I have with that and, and that I hope was hoping that the ELD would help out a little bit was to help the rates increase as far as it's concerned when dealing with the um, with dealing with us smaller carriers that don't have a, a lot of the built-in protections as far as uh, for detention and, and other, all the other different things that we have to yeah, deal with and yeah, fighting you, with, you, uh, working to try to get detention. Yeah, you're absolutely right. If uh, uh, the ELD straight jackets performance because uh, – uh, you can't uh, engage the clutch on the truck while you're off duty for uh, for ten hours to move away from the dock. Uh, there's there's going to be real problems on small carriers. Also, as long as shippers demand time delivery, which means you got to get there early, and if you if you're delayed, uh, there's no detention. Uh, that is really going to affect the guy who isn't able to do drop and hook. It's going to give an advantage to the big guys who maintain the pools and who just drop and hook and don't have that unexpected delay uh, in getting loaded and unloaded. I think the ELD will hasten the day in which the industry needs to insist that uh, there be uh, some consensus on free time and that you be paid generously when you wait. It's far more expensive for you to... uh, uh, miss the next load, miss an appointment, have your whole week screwed up because a driver won't unload, uh, a, a shipper won't unload you when you arrive than it is for the shipper to add a third shift. Uh, for too long, they have uh, uh, used just-in-time inventory. Uh, we know the abuses, uh, the grocery houses, and say, you're 30 minutes late, you can reschedule your appointment and five days and what in the hell are you going to do with the produce in the meantime? All of those kinds of abuses, I think, are going to be made more difficult with the strict enforcement of of the ELD, and, and, and that's concerning to me. And I, uh, you probably heard me say six months ago I thought the ELD uh, was inexpensive, uh, that people would never have to log again and you get through the scales, so let's all declare victory. Uh, I'm not so sure that the economic consequences and the ability of the agency to come in, plug a modem into your computer, and uh, and uh, catch every uh, 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 every time the truck moved 15 feet and find you for it aren't uh, aren't real issues. So uh, I, I, I'm I'm sympathetic to what you're saying, particularly when it comes to uh, uh, detention and shippers demanding time deliveries. The traditional standard is we'll deliver it with reasonable dispatch and you'll unload it during ordinary business hours when we arrive. And how far have we gotten from that? Yeah, it's really been, it's it's really, uh, <laughs> it, and I'm still getting a, a great deal of pushback from, a, well, there are a few far in between. I, I make sure that uh, I had a, I had a conversation. I'm trying to remember who the uh, brokerage was that I had an issue with uh, last week. Um, they they had some of that nasty language in their contract pertaining to um, 
you know, uh, uh, overstepping their boundaries when it comes to the to the FISMA Act. And, uh, you know, me and the guy was having a conversation. I'm trying to remember which broker. It was a pretty big, big brokerage house, but they, they kind of insisted on that, you know, they still had that language in there of that they had the sole discretion to whether to uh, reject or reject dump the, the entire dump load. Yeah. With the mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm really still amazed that, it, that it's still, um, you're still getting a little bit of pushback from a lot of these. Uh, may, and, I, and I even told the guy, I went so, even so far as to send him my, uh, my certificate from, from, uh, from yeah. from um, you guys that that you know that hey we we uh we yeah, are compliant, compliant and that we understand and we understand all the issues yeah. and everything that are, that are, that that we're facing. You know, what, what the, but what you know the, what uh, the brokers what the brokers doing uh, Rico is covering his ass because basically there's still shippers who are insisting on it. Uh, uh, I do work for uh, a really large refrigerated carrier and uh, they're in-house. Uh, Legal had worked for weeks to try to uh, come to some common consideration from a major uh, foodstuff shippers. Uh, they say our quality control says that the seal is broken. We want the sole discretion to uh, to dump it, and you're, there's going to be no inspection. There's going to be no salvage. And you know, at some point, the the letter I wrote to him said, uh, and I've said it here. If you want to do business with these people, go in with your eyes wide open and tell them that you're going to have to get a whole lot more per load because you're going to end up eating a load that you've got no insurance for. And, uh, you know, I think if if those guys, as long as they think they can get rejected, crush it, and dump it for free, uh, and it's just as good to dump it as it is to have sold it to a retailer, uh, you know, unless uh, – uh, you know, unless they're if they're just typical businessmen, they're going to jam it down. And uh, uh, so, uh, you know, I know that that problem's still there. I'm not hearing as many people relying on FISMA to do it, but uh, uh, reject it, crush it, and dump it has, for quality control issues uh, has been the standard operating procedures for a lot of shippers for years. I've told you about the people that ship bottled water, claiming that it can't stay in the in the trailer more than three days or they want to dump it. Give me a break. It's got a shelf life right, on it and, and it's for 2019. <laughs> but listen, a, a couple of things I, I want to hit on. I don't know whether your lines are lit up or not, but you said that you had a uh, uh, an independent contractor that asked you a couple of questions. I can hit those two questions out of the ballpark very quickly. The federal regulations absolutely, absolutely. require that require that a carrier uh, issue payment within 15 days of the submission of the documents. When a contract is terminated, the regulations provide that the carrier has 45 days to make a settlement. Yeah, and one more thing that the uh, young lady had called me about and was asking, was telling me about um, if she had uh, quit a country, she quit a company, and uh, she gave a notice and she uh, put a notice in, but then they deducted. Uh, I think she told me they fined her eight hundred dollars because she didn't give them a thirty days notice. And I don't know. I told. Her, I said, well, you might even want to go back and look over your contract. But I don't think that I don't, if they don't have that express, if you didn't sign off on that expressly in your contract, I don't think they can get away with that. 
Rico, you need to be a lawyer. You got it exactly right. The truth in leasing regulations are strictly construed against the carrier. If they said that uh, that the only way either party could terminate it for uh, uh, on discretion was on 30 days written notice, and that if you breached that, there'd be liquidated damages in the amount of $800, uh, uh, she's entitled to 800 bucks. But uh, you know. Uh, suing them for it uh you're probably going to meet somebody on the block i think you uh you know if they did it to everybody you might have a class action but uh you know uh, uh i think i w- i think i would uh, be more than happy to have some if i don't represent the carrier to take a take a look at a contract and write a nasty gram to the carrier because they deserve it right that's why I- yeah, I, I, I advised her to. I told her that she might want to give you a phone call to, and, and definitely at least give you a chance. I, and I doubt very seriously if you represent the carrier, um, but I told her that you know she definitely want to give you guys a call and, and maybe get get another set of eyes uh, looking at the situation. Um, I, I don't like well, to try to give legal advice. I I, I, yeah. I read your book. I mean, the the, the, <laughs> so, the, the thing. So I, 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 I'm a little. I'm a little versed. I'm a, I'm a little versed, but I, but I know enough not to uh, not to yeah. uh, uh, you know. I'm, I'm not going to be standing up in any courtrooms anytime. So. <laughs> well, there there are the, uh, the independent contractor model is under such great pressure uh, from whistleblowers and uh, uh, class action plaintiffs who are, are really trolling for big judgments uh, that you know most carriers, most responsible carriers. Uh, don't want to do that kind of cheap stuff. Uh, you know, there's far more liability than there is to just say, okay, you want to leave, let's part friends. We're going to settle up with you. Uh, uh, you know, uh, if I were if I were her and I had in a contract that, uh, you know, uh, had to give 30 days notice, uh, since if I went somewhere else, I was going to ask for a, had to ask for a referral and they had to check with me, I would probably say, look, uh, uh, a nice letter to the carrier says, hey, look, this really isn't working out. I'm giving you, I'm giving you my 30 days notice and uh, I'm, 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 willing to, I'm willing to go earlier if you release me. Tell me where to turn in my placards and bingo. Because, you know, there is no reason that you're under contract for 30 days that you have to accept all the shipments. I wouldn't say to any independent contractor, dog it or screw them up. But, you know, I think the last thing a carrier wants is somebody hanging around that they're paying insurance for that wants to go somewhere else. I mean, that's just not good business. Hmm. Right. I mean, think, about right. The, think about the contentiousness of, uh, of a driver, uh, owner-operator, manager trying to get somebody who is uh, – uh, is disgruntled, isn't happy, and uh, 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 can't, uh, uh, you know, wants to be somewhere else. You're looking at productivity. You're looking at all kinds of things that, uh, uh, I, you know, if I were running the company, I'd say, okay, look, if it's not working out for you, um, you know, come on in. Let's get the, uh, the placards off the truck. Let's make the settlement. Uh, go on your happy way. Uh, I'm sorry it didn't work out come in because we want to talk to you about, uh, you know, uh, why you think it didn't work out so we can uh, 
improve our practices. You know, that's the professional way to do it. Yeah, that, that sounds too much like it, right, when you're dealing with some of these. And that's one of the things that you got to – I say this, I, I try to – I say this, um, when you're dealing with smaller carriers, when you're leasing on with smaller carriers, um, unfortunately, these things seem to happen more often with the smaller guys. Um, I'm not sure what you got to kind of just take a, a judge of character of the people that you're dealing with as well. And if it seems like the people that you're dealing with got a little bit more shadiness going on with them than uh, high character, then, you know, you might want to take that under advisement and, and, and maybe uh, find somewhere else to place your your truck and your services other than a, a, yeah, a carrier yeah, that you know, you're, has uh, – you're, you're, you're right. I mean, you know, large carriers do tend to have better procedures in place, but – you know, it's kind of a, I guess, a plug for my son. Uh, you know, he's up to 18 trucks now. They're all independent contractors. They all own their own trucks. They don't have to advertise. People come to him because uh, he treats his uh, independent contractors correctly. He tries to get them miles and get them home. They work as a team, uh, you know, and I think he's he's really making a success story, and I'm really proud of him because, I'm proud of the way he he treats his independent contractors, and and the fact that he doesn't have a turnover uh, uh, says that the relationship works right. Now, you know, I think far too frequently there are guys who uh, uh, get promised a bunch of stuff uh, and may may sign on with a small carrier without the recommendation from a buddy or without uh, uh, you know checking them out. And then they get then they get fried. I, I pretty frequently have folks that uh, have just been mistreated. But uh, you know, I've had some real cases of mistreatment from large carriers as well as small. Right, right. Now I wanted to go back, circle back around as well, um, and just just remind everybody we got about ten minutes left in the show. If you guys got questions. We've got a bunch of people on the line. If you got a question for Hank, go ahead and press 1. We'll get you up and on board. We'll get you right in. We don't have anybody uh, holding right now for a question. But if you got one, go ahead and press number 1, and we'll get you up and on board. Um, but I wanted to um, – and there we go. we got a few few people raising their hands, so we'll give them time to get, get screened in real quickly. But uh, going back around to the issue when it goes um, – we were talking about with the uh, Food Safety and Modernization Act. Have you had any, you say it's kind of been quiet on that front, or have we had any issues come down the pipe where, where that's concerned? Well, you know, the first compliance date was in April. So we saw a whole lot of shipper crammed down, and everybody was kind of alarmed. Uh, it seems as though the, uh, uh, the bigger carriers have, have negotiated uh, the bad parts out clearly, there hasn't been any enforcement by FDA. So there, uh, uh, in, in terms of traction, people signing up for the protocol or, or complaints about it, uh, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really seeing it. Uh, the, the, the larger brokers, uh, or at least the ones that I, that I deal with, uh, uh, some of the hysteria, I guess, is what I'm saying is calmed down. I think it's I think it's still an issue. I think before and after 
this idea of reject it, crush it, dump it was a, was a problem, and it continues to be. But I'm seeing uh, in contracts now the shipper says, we insist on this because of quality control, not because it's necessarily contaminated. You know, the guy I was looking at today had a household brand, and he said, look, you know, if it's out around my quality control, people have to decide whether to uh, whether to dump it, and if we dump it, you're going to pay retail. And I, I told the client, I said, look, you go back to him and you say, look, if you want to dump it, we'll give you the right to salvage it. We're not going to go out and sell it unless you tell us to, but we want to have it inspected uh, by a third party, and if it's fit for human consumption, we want the third party to determine what the diminished value is. So let's say that it's not uh, it's not uh, uh, first-grade lettuce. Okay, you'd get a USDA inspection report, and you'd say such and such percent decay. You wouldn't destroy the lettuce necessarily, but you get somebody to say, hey, it's still got a market. It may not be worth uh, $40,000, but it's still worth twenty. So you get an independent evaluation of the salvage value. And at that point, you say, look, uh, we'll pay you for claims uh, your, uh, your wholesale costs uh, less the, uh, less the, uh, uh, the diminished value. So that we ain't going to pay you retail. Uh, particularly if you could sell another load. Uh, and uh, if you want to crush it and it's otherwise uh, could be sold to prisoners for 20000 bucks, we're not going to pay you that twenty. That's because you're concerned about your quality control. It's not because uh, 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 we did that much damage to the freight. And that's basically what Carmack says. Uh, the rule, if it wasn't produce or anything else, would say, Hey, you can't trash a whole load because you don't like the last skid, and uh, you know you've got to mitigate your damages. Uh, you don't just destroy perfectly edible food uh, because uh, uh, you know it's two degrees over round. Uh, and you know, for years, uh, I know you know this, uh, Rico. Uh, people like Front Street. They've been uh, all kinds of people uh, who made a market for. Uh, off spec goods. Right. And and right. they gave and, and they gave indemnity to the manufacturer that we take full responsibility if somebody gets sick because they eat it, you know? So I think I think it's right. just wasteful to say we're gonna just ignore that and try to break it over the carrier who can't buy insurance for it. Right. And I had a follow up to that, but I'm gonna go ahead and get our caller and let's go to get Colin. Colin has a question for us, Hank. You're up and on board with this, Colin. Go hey. ahead. Yeah, Hank. My question is, as a freight broker doing power only, if I have a carrier that's going to pull a trailer on a dedicated run for a month or two, is there any reason why I shouldn't be able to ask that guy for a copy of his license? If I'm giving him a $50,000 trailer for a month, so I could actually verify that he has a good driving record other than just a good authority? Oh, well, certainly you could. Certainly you could. Uh, and, you know, if you're hiring a guy who's uh, a one-truck Charlie in a Charlie's trucking service, uh, you know, I would think that uh, uh, 
first of all, if he has any uh, any flaws in his uh, in his driving record while he's been operating his one truck Charlie, you can go on the FMCSA website and see if he's got any uh, speeding violations or things such as that. Uh, obviously, he's required to have a CDL, uh, but uh, it's a little unusual for a broker to ask him for a uh, uh, for a DAC. Uh, but I don't know any. I don't know any reason uh, under the law that you couldn't do that. Let me let me mention this for you. If you're going to give him the use of your trailer for a month, uh, you are going to need a couple of things. You're going to need to be sure that you have a trailer lease agreement. You need to be sure that he's got FISDAM on on your trailer, and you need to be sure that your trailer is not an insured vehicle, you're a broker. But there are situations in which uh, if on a power only, uh, the the subcontractor is in a wreck, the insurance company will go uh, against the, uh, the owner of the equipment to try to get to his insurance. So, you know, you need to be sure that if you're giving him the trailer for uh, uh, for a uh, a month, that you know how you stand with your trailer. There is a a law. It's uh, called the uh, trailer uh, uh, the trailer rental and lease uh, uh, or trailer legislation, and it says that if someone is in the business of leasing trailers, he will not be vicariously liable for the acts of the lessee. Uh, you, you might, uh, uh, you know, you might want to be sure that you uh, check with your insurance to be sure what liability you have for giving them a trailer for a uh, uh, one trailer for a month. Usually, on yeah, we weren't uh, we weren't going to lease him the trailer. He was just going to have free use of the trailer, um, and he would either be required to have non-owned or unidentified because I know trailer interchange doesn't work. Um, but what we were going to do was take care of everything on the trailer for the first 30 days. And then after that, um, you know, he would be responsible for the maintenance of the trailer and stuff. Because it's probably going to be a lot longer, a lot more like a six-month contract or something in reality. Yeah. If it, if it, if it, if it were me and he was going to pull the the same doggone trailer and you were a broker, I'd go to Leasco or somebody and tell him, Hey Bubba, you lease, uh, you lease the trailer for them and we'll goose up your pay, uh, to cover the lease so that, uh, you know, you're out of, uh, as a broker, you can say, listen, I just arranged for transportation. I don't provide any trailers. I don't, I don't have, uh, uh, any any other responsibility? I think it would be cleaner if you are just a broker to uh, uh, have him uh, make the lease payments on the trailer to a bona fide lease company, and you just goose up its pay if that's possible. Yeah, the customer the customer owns the trailer, but yeah. Um, so well, I if mean, you're, I'm just if you're, putting... if you're, yeah, your customer the customer owns the trailer. Yeah. Uh, you might want to look carefully at, at you. It looks like you almost got a three-party deal because if the customer owns the trailer and, and uh, 
the boy you hire uh, wrecks it, uh, uh, the customer is the one that's going to have the claim for the FISDAM, not you. So would the customer then should be uh, an additional insured on the insurance? Uh, well, certainly, certainly with respect to the trailer, to the to the trailer insurance, uh, it, you know, it sounds to me like you're like you're the intermediary, and that uh, uh, actually your your trailer is looking or your customer is looking for a dedicated lane, and he's got a bunch of trailers. That may be kind of like the new the new Amazon model, you know. Uh, you're arranging for the transportation, but somebody's basically pulling dedicated lanes with the, uh, with customer uh, trailers. And at that point, uh, you know, I'd, I'd rather keep you out of the liability loop and uh, tell your customer, look, I'm hiring this uh, uh, this licensed uh, and authorized power only carrier to serve you. I'm going to manage it. Uh, but uh, uh, you need to you need to do what you need to do to get right with him on uh, protecting yourself for his use of your trailer. There's just really no sense in putting you in in, in the liability loop. Okay, I'll call I'll call you next week, and we'll talk about it. I'll have you write something up for me. All right, I'd be happy to, Colin. And so my other All question right. is, I'm buying a bunch of. Got another minute or are we done? Go, go, go ahead, Colin. Okay. We'll, we'll let you get a follow-up in. Go ahead. Well, it's, kind of, it's probably kind of the same deal because I'm looking at buying some converted dollars to, so I can have people pull doubles, but they would actually belong to um, my trucking company, um, but they would be going to outside carriers through my brokerage, so that would kind of be the same mess, right? Yeah, it could be. If you've got if you've got a if you've got a trucking uh, affiliate uh, that owns the, that owns the dollies, uh, then uh, on those loads, your trucking affiliate uh, is your trucking affiliate getting the freight and giving it to your brokerage to broker to this guy. Well, I own yeah. So what I'm doing is I've got customers that need their new trailers delivered and their 28-foot pups. So what I'm doing, I'm looking at doing is buying the dollars so that they can pull the trailers as a set of doubles. And so I would own the the dollars and then the whoever the carrier is would use my dolly to hook the two trailers together to make it a yeah, set of doubles. If the, if the dolly, if the dollies, if the dollies are transportation equipment that your trucking company owns, and your brokerage division is hiring the carrier, then uh, then it's it, it's easier to sort out the parties, and uh, you know we would need uh, 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 probably to have your your brokerage division compensate your trucking division for the for the equipment, and your uh, uh, trucking division have an equipment interchange with the guy that's that's hauling it. I mean, we can do it there to separate out the liability a little cleaner than you were talking about with your other with your other transaction on the trailer. But but give okay. me a call and we can talk about it. Yeah, I'll give okay. you a call next week. All right, thanks uh, a lot, Hank. Sure. All right, appreciate it, Colin. Uh, we got uh, one more caller. We're going to get in before the end of the show. Jaleel, just hold on tight. Before we get to Jaleel, though, Hank, uh, 
you want to give everybody your contact information, how they can get in contact with you, um, websites and all yeah, that good I, stuff? I think I think the probably the easiest thing if people are driving and all is just to remember the website is transportationlaw.net. That's transportationlaw.net. And if you go to that, uh, you can find out about me and my firm, and you can and you can get a, a call number and a, and an email to to contact me, uh, and I'll be happy to help you. Uh, Want to remind folks before we get off: if you are a new entrant, uh, you ought to listen to that free webinar because it it's really devastating for you to go to all the problem to get insurance and equipment, get in business, and then the agency says oops, we're going to put you out and you can't get back in for six months. That's at, uh, that's at transcomply.com uh, slash webinar. And uh, with that, let's let's take our last question. All right, Jaleel, you're up and on board with Rico and Hank. How can we help? Yes, sir. Uh, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on the process to buy a, a, a used truck. And today I go to OIDA. Uh, to get a, a hotel insurance uh, to be able to pull the the truck out of the shop and take it to a uh, out of the dealer and take it to to a shop and they ask me for my zip code so I am licensed in California my mailing address is in California uh, the truck is not going to California the truck is going to be bought in in uh, New Jersey they're going to take it going to be taken to a job in Pennsylvania, and I guess the guy just hung up on me. He didn't answer no more. Uh, I had a little so, bit of a trouble making that out of the... I did, did I you didn't get any of that? I, I, got the, I got the fact that your license is in California, and you, apparently you need bobtail insurance to take it to get it in, in, inspected or worked on in Pennsylvania. What did did Hawaii give you uh, some hassle about writing the kind of insurance you want? I'm not understanding the problem. Illegal, uh, just to drive it out of the out of the dealer and, and to the shop. Uh, but they keep asking me for a zip code, and uh, I had a zip code in California, but I'm telling them the truck is in New Jersey, and I'm driving it uh, to Pennsylvania. Uh, I know it, it might. Uh, it's my very first truck, so I'm I basically uh, don't know if it matters that, uh, that I'm getting my Zico from California, which is not going to be drivable because it's not a commission truck. Uh, I'm not sure. I think that one thing that you, I think one thing that you might, I, I, I'm thinking he's trying to, he's trying to get it moved. I'm, I'm, I'm about like you. I'm having a little bit of trouble making it out a little bit there, and I apologize about that, Jaleel. But what I think what he needs to do is that uh, if, you're, if you're at a dealership and you're thinking about buying something from them, uh, and if you can't get it done, then if the dealership should stand enough behind their product or whatever it is that they're trying to sell you, that they will make accommodations, that they would have someone on their insurance, a driver from their insurance, even if you offer to compensate them to pay them to have their driver take it to wherever it needed to be taken to, so that you could have it inspected. Um, to me, that yeah, would just well, be Jaleel, good if business. You the, if you haven't bought the truck yet, uh, it's their truck, and, you know, you can be a permissive driver if you've got a CDL. And I think if they wanted to make the sale enough, uh, you know, basically put a drive tag on it, 
the way you would a regular ordinary driver and say, take it around the block or we'll take it around the block. I assume you haven't bought the truck Absolutely. Yet. Absolutely, and I think that that's going to be if that's if I'm understanding you correctly, that's that would be uh, the way I would advise you to go. Uh, I would go that route instead of trying to go and get some insurance if you don't already have insurance in place. I would go ahead and try to get them to. Uh, I would you know it may be even cheaper for you yeah. to compensate them to uh, to do that for you yeah, versus be, you going out and trying to get a new policy be, in place. Yeah, it'd be pretty silly for you to pay a premium. Uh, to uh, bobtail across town to have something inspected. I mean, you know, if you're going to get in the trucking business, uh, uh, the premiums that you're going to have to pay and the FISDAM and all that is is going to be a much more of an underwriting challenge than getting a truck across town to have it inspected. And, uh, you know, uh, I guess we can save for another day. Uh, if, you're, if you're a new entrant, uh, you know, uh, what kind of market you can go to and what you're going to have to pay to actually boogie across the country with that truck. Are you planning on being an independent contractor under lease to somebody? And are you just ultimately looking for deadhead and bobtail to satisfy an independent contractor agreement? Or are you planning on being your own company? Um, I, I'm, 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 I'm playing drivers on their, so all their, all their, uh, the company authority uh it's a long shot from zero to to uh <laughs> to to uh, uh well ordinarily 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 if you're going to be an independent contractor and you're going to buy equipment uh the carrier that you're going to be leased to uh will have markets for you to buy the deadhead and bobtail that they require so uh, rather than you having to shop the deadhead and bobtail through OIDA, you know, if you picked your carrier and now you're picking your truck, uh, you know, they they should be able to uh, help you procure deadhead and bobtail insurance. Uh, uh, and I, I, I don't think either Rico or I really understand the nature of the of the problem you've got just to go get the truck inspected. Yeah, it's, it's my very first time. I'm buying the truck, uh, whether they... I'm not. I'm just. I'm paying off work, and uh, and for going forward, I will take it to a shop just to uh, to make sure I I don't need. I, I'm. It's it's a, it's in good condition to be put on the road, and and take it to uh right to the person that I that a company that I plan to go drive under the authority. It, that's yeah. The, well, the, you're you know but, before. But before yeah, if you if you if you if you haven't bought the truck yet, yeah, if you haven't. Yeah, if you haven't bought the yeah. truck yet, go ahead and uh, do like we suggested. Go ahead and go a, a different route as far as you know. Go ahead and getting you um, get get set up with the let the dealership um, set that up to, to negotiate that they get the truck to wherever you needed to go to, um, and, and and that way that should that should ta- take care of that uh, without getting too putting uh get putting the, the car too far ahead of the horse. Yeah, and you know the the other thing is. Uh, if you're buying it from a dealership as a used truck, you know, you need to be sure you've got the right kinds of warranties. If if it's part of a lease-to-own program through a carrier, uh, you need to to be uh, very careful that uh, that that company has a, a real history of success stories. 
because sometimes those lease to owns are really just leases and you know there're not a lot of people who ultimately get title to it so uh you know you want to build equity in that truck you want to be able to uh, uh not be tied to a particular carrier and the last thing you want to do is have payments when the truck's broken down and you can't get it fixed All sage advice. Well, Hank, we appreciate you. Uh, hopefully that gets you uh, where you need to be there, Jaleel. Um, that wraps up the show for tonight. We want to thank you again, Hank, for taking time out of your busy schedule to sure, join us to and help enlighten week. us. Yes, sir. And ladies and gentlemen, we'll talk to you guys same time next week, God willing. Between now and then, you guys be safe out there. God bless you and good night. And like we always say here on the Racing Lanes Podcast, Keep it in between the mustard and the mayonnaise. This is Rico Muhammad. We're out. We'll talk to you next week. Be safe out there, guys.